0: Praise the Lord. Well, sometimes God has another plan, like changing my message five minutes ago. And you do what God says. I learned, I learned that a long time ago. You don't argue with God. Hey, you can argue with God all you want to, but it's not going to work out for you. When you get tired. He's not tired. When you've made your point, you can still make his. Amen. Um, so I'm going to just mind the Lord. This might be quick. This might be short. It might be long. I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just trying to mind the Lord. Matthew, let's go to Matthew. Gospel of Matthew chapter 11. I spent several days this week working on a message out of Jeremiah and thought all the way up till just a minute ago. That that's what we was going to do and then the Lord just kind of shut it down. I don't know how to explain it. If you watch football every now and then they'll have an audible. Huh? They'll have a play that they're going to run. Look over to the sidelines and they're telling them what play to run. And then they get in there and it looks different. Quarterback makes an audible. Omaha, Omaha. (laughs) Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. You think I'm talking about a city? I'm talking about Peyton Manning, quarterback. Everything was Omaha. Sometimes you have to make an audible. I believe God sometimes just wants to see what we're going to do when He calls an audible. Hmm. Um, some of y'all are nervous I'm not nervous at all they say what's fixing to happen nothing we're going to preach a little bit and go home that's what we're going to do but God, God gets in this. God might help somebody Matthew chapter number 11 are you there stand with me please let's just start right in verse 20 Then began he to upbraid, upbraid the cities wherein most of his mighty works were done because they repented not. Woe unto thee, Jerazan. Woe unto thee, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the days of judgment than for you. And thou, Capernaum, which art exalted unto heaven, shalt be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which have been done in thee had been done in Sodom, it would have remained unto this day. But I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom, in the day of judgment than for thee. That's pretty strong. Amen. Lord, help us this morning to mind you. Please direct our steps and our tongue and our words. Use this to be a help to somebody in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. I had no intentions of going over this chapter. So I'm just going to have to mind the Lord here. But I think it's important that we understand what he's talking about and it explains it for us in verse number 20. By the way, when I read my Bible, I don't care if it's Old Testament, I don't care if it's New Testament, I'm not only content to understand the context and what's going on in that particular time and who's talking and who they're talking to and why they're saying what they're saying, but I always ask myself the question, why is this in my Bible? And it's in our Bible for us. It's in there for us to benefit from. They say history repeats itself. Solomon said there's nothing new under the sun. Civilization seems to cycle. And we know that God is never changing. The Bible says that Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Bible talks about the immutable counsel of God. God doesn't change. Now, it really bothers me when I hear people talk about God and living for God and serving God in this day and age like it's different from all the other people that have lived for God down through the centuries. God hasn't changed. Y'all got to come with me on this journey, okay? Am I right? God does not change. The same God that we pray to today is the same God that Abraham prayed to the same truth that we hear and uphold and and preach and teach and try to live by is the same truth that God's always had. There's always been two groups of people, saints and sinners. There's always been two groups of people, those that want to hear what God has to say and those that do not. That's nothing new. Now today it seems like there are more people that don't want to hear what God has to say than people that do. And the reason why is because that's how it is. But that's not new. The people that have wanted to hear what God has to say has always been a very small minority. In fact, the Bible calls them a remnant. A remnant. That word remnant is a word that we use down at the fabric store when somebody rolls off about 30 bolts, yards of carpet off the bolt and then there's about that much left, they wad it up and they put a rubber band around it and they sell it on the shelf for $2 because that's a remnant. That's what we are. We are the small percentage of people that want to hear what God has to say. That are genuinely concerned about his will, as we just sang, that when God steps into your life and literally takes your GPS out of your hands and reprograms in a completely different destination, you're okay with it. I've had it happen many times. Many times. I've had to allow God to just take over. And that's because we have learned to trust him. Because he has a perfect track record. Y'all still with me? God has a perfect track record. So when we hear something from God, our ears perk up and our heart is inclined towards that. And that is why we are called believers. And those that when they hear what God says are turned off by it. They stop up their ears, close their eyes, shut down their heart. They accelerate their will and try to exert their will over the will of God Those people are called unbelievers. And if they don't get saved before they die, they're going to spend eternity in hell as far away from God as you could possibly get, which is what they acted like. That's what they wanted when they were here on earth. By the way, when you read your Bible and you look at the people that ran from God, they didn't want to be away from God nearly as bad as they thought they did. Oh, Jonah... Fled, the Bible says, three times in Jonah chapter number one, fled from the presence of the Lord. He wanted to be anywhere on planet Earth but where God was. And so God tested that theory. He had a big old whale swallow him. He spent three days in the depths of the sea inside the whale's belly with seaweed wrapped around his head. Almost like God said, Is this far enough away from you? Is this far enough away from me, Jonah, to suit you? And Jonah said, I changed my mind. If you get me out of this mess, come on. Come on. I will pay my vows. <laughs> if you would just get me out of here, I would do exactly what you were trying to get me to do at the beginning of Jonah chapter number one. The Bible says Jonah chapter three, verse number one, and the word of the Lord came unto of Jonah the second time. <laughs> Woo! That was one phone call he was waiting for. Amen. Yeah. God said, Let's let's back up and try this again. I want you to go to Nineveh and preach. I believe when that well got sick, by the way, a backslid preacher will always make you sick. Amen. At well, spit old Jonah out. And I believe while he was still in the air, he looked like one of them cartoon characters. I believe his feet was doing this. <laughs> and when he hit the ground, he hit the ground running. People say they want to get away from God, don't want to get away from it as far as where they're going to be if they don't get saved. I saw that to say this, in their text, Jesus is upbraiding the city wherein most of his mighty works were done because they repented not. When we think about Jesus, we think about someone who's merciful and compassionate and long-suffering and gentle and loving because he is. Very much so. We're going to be getting into this on our Monday night Bible college class on the doctrine of God. We're going to get into his attributes. Attributes. And Brother Lato and I were looking through the book and I said, there's nowhere near enough pages for this subject. When I say we're hitting the highlights, I'm talking about like skipping a rock across a lake. I mean, we're leaving out way more than what we're gonna deal with. When you get to the attributes of God, his love, his grace, his mercy, his patience, his long suffering, his forbearance, all of those things. I mean, you could just write a book on every single one of those subjects. He, because he is that way. But when you read these verses we just read, you're not seeing that side of him. They saw that side of him when he was doing all the many mighty works. I mean, his love and his compassion and his, and his broken heart and his tears is right smack dab in the middle of verse 20 where it says... His mighty works were done. The fact that he came to their cities, the fact that he came to their towns and he touched their blind eyes and he healed their crippled legs and he he made the deaf to hear and he made the demon-possessed children and those that were possessed with devils free and and he raised the dead and touched the leper. Those were his demonstrations of love and mercy and compassion. And he did it everywhere he went. But in verse number 20, you're gonna see a side of him that you don't wanna see. He upbraided them. Good old King James Bible word. Means he got onto them. He chewed them out. He rebuked them. He reproved them. He called them out. He upbraided them. The cities. Wherein most of his mighty works were done. Why? Because they repented not. Paul said that the goodness of God leadeth men to repentance. Why do you think Jesus went around to every city doing good? To try to put the people that make handicap signs out of business? No. Do you think he went around to healing all the sick people to put the doctors and the hospitals out of business? No. You think he cast demons out of little children and he delivered people from sicknesses because he was, no, it was all about trying to get them to believe in him. It was the whole point. And he said that. He said a wicked and perverse generation require a sign. Those were signs. Those were signs to prove to doubting people that they had no reason to doubt. Yet, after all of his mighty works, they still would not repent. And Jesus turned around and he began to say some things, to be honest with you, sobering. He said in verse number 21, woe unto you, Chorazin, woe unto thee, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. We're sending missionaries all over the world. We've got over 250 missionaries that we send around the world that we support as a church, financially, with our mission dollars and with our prayer around the world. And we are blessed to read the prayer letters of these missionaries. I've got the prayer list right here. These are all the missionaries that we support in all these countries. And we send missionaries over there with the belief that if somebody will go over there and open up a Bible and preach the truth that people will get saved. Am I, am I right? I mean, that's what it's about. And we get the prayer letters and we're not even really that surprised to find out that people are getting saved. We just heard Brother Mashama say that they had 350 in their church in Tanzania and nobody thought anything about it. Well, that's, that's what we sent him over there to do. Yeah, but see, here's the problem. If the gospel and the truth that has been preached in America had been preached in these other places, they would have repented a long time ago. Amen. And, and as if that wasn't enough, Jesus said in the next passage, in verse number 23, and thou Capernaum, which are exalted unto heaven, what does that remind you of? Huh? Yeah. Is that, am I, am I is still with me? Yeah. What, does that, what does that remind you of today? Exalted. He's talking to a place which are exalted unto heaven. Sounds like America to me. He says, shall be brought down to hell for if the mighty works which have been done in thee had been done in Sodom, it would have remained unto this day. Well, we know what happened to Sodom. We know what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah. He was full of perverts and full of, full, of, full of Sodomites. They were full of Sodomites. They were literally breaking the doors down of Lot's house to try to get to the two angels that came down from heaven to tell him to leave. <sighs> Sodomites breaking the doors down. What does that sound like? And God was so sick of it, so sick of it, that he literally rained down fire and brimstone on Solomon Gomorrah. All right? Didn't even try to to salvage the cities. He spent more time trying to get the righteous people out so they wouldn't be the collateral damage of what he was affixing to do. Y'all still with me? Here's what Jesus said to Capernaum. If they, if if the mighty works which have been done in thee had been done in Sodom, it would have been remained unto this day. If, If the works which I have done, Jesus talking, had been done in a city full of perverts, they would have got right. But you won't get right. You won't repent, he said. Look at verse 24. But I say to thee that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. What do you mean day of judgment? You mean the raining down the fire and the brimstone, that wasn't judgment? No, that was the preliminary judgment. Every one of those people in that story is gonna stand before God at the great white throne judgment. Am I right? And here's what God said. Then they're going to get judged. And we know what their judgment will be. The Bible tells us what it will be. If their name is not found written in the book of life, their judgment will be, they will be cast into the lake of fire where they will spend the rest of eternity with the beast and the false prophet and the devil. That's that's what judgment is. But here's what he said to Capernaum. He says, it's going to be more tolerable for them. In the day of judgment, then it's going to be for a group of people that saw me working, saw me moving, saw me changing lives, touching lives, and still didn't repent. That's sobering. That's sobering. What God has allowed us to see and hear in America very few people on this planet have got to see. I mean, for several hundred years now, God has allowed us to have access to the truth, the Word of God. So much so that there are more Bibles in this country, I dare say, than all the rest of them put together. We print most of them. We publish most of them. We've got ministries around this country, Brother George, that pack up containers full of Bibles and ship them all over the world to people that don't have any. David Young just texted me just a few weeks ago and he said, "Help me pray. We're trying to raise some money to send some Bibles down to Brother Lacey. down. he's in the city next door to Brother Estep. We had the privilege to go see their work. We stayed at their camp. When I went to Mexico to see Brother Estep, the city over, I can't remember the name of it. Brother Lacey, his family's there, Lacey Wheeler. And Brother David said, pray for us, we're trying to raise money. We want to ship a bunch of Bibles to Mexico. He texted me yesterday, he said, now we got missionaries in Cuba wanting Bibles. He said, we have raised $80,000 for Bibles in just the last few weeks to ship. He said, our little old church down here in Georgia has raised I mean, people are sending it in. I mean, it's not all from their church, but we're shipping Bibles to Cuba. We, meaning America, Christians in America. We have access to the truth. We've had access to men of God. We've had access to, to churches that are powerhouses where God's presence were and where people got saved and lives were changed in this country. We have seen God's mighty works. Brother Nick, we have heard more truth since we got saved than most of the world will hear in their lifetime. Now, that's a fact. If you have said at Calvary Baptist Church more than two services, you have heard more Bible than most people in the world will hear in their whole life. Our bus kids sitting over there in junior church this morning are hearing more truth than most of the world will ever hear. Preacher, where are you going with this? Here's where I'm going. I believe if Jesus were to come down and stand in any church in America, I believe this morning he would be completely justified to say to our country what he said to Capernaum. If they'd have had the truth that you've had, if they'd have seen God work and God move like you have, they would have repented. But Capernaum still didn't repent. And God said, it's going to be more tolerable for Sodom than it is for those that have seen what God can do. Seen God's love, God's mercy, God's compassion, and not repented. Look at what he says though. He's not finished. Verse 25, at that time Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth because thou hast hid these things from the wise and the prudent and hast revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight, all things are delivered unto me of my father and no man knoweth the son but the father. Neither knoweth any man the father save the son and he to whomsoever the son will reveal him. We're back to those mysteries we preached about a couple of weeks ago. The mystery of the gospel has been revealed to us. And after upbraiding the cities of Chorazin and Bethsaida and Capernaum. And after breathing out some of the strongest judgment and, and reproof that you can imagine. He says Now. Let me say this. Almost as if it's giving you another chance. Because he is loving. And he is merciful. And he is compassionate. And after looking at those people and saying, it's going to be more tolerable for Sodom at the judgment than it is of you. In the middle of upbraiding them because they would not repent. It's almost like he flipped a switch. And here's what he said. Come unto me. Come unto me, verse 28. Come unto me. I've already showed you I could heal. I've already showed you I could raise the dead. I've already showed you I could cleanse the lepers. I've already showed you that I could cast the demons out and that I have power over the demons and devils of hell. I've already showed you that. You've had your kids restored to you. You've had your husbands restored to you. You've had your families put back together. You've seen me do that. And you didn't repent. So I'm going to say it one more time. Come unto me. All ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Can I say it this evening? As morning? our society, is weary. Yes. Yes, sir. That, that, that group he's talking to right there, we have them today. Yes. Why do you think they're on drugs? No, the why, why do you think they spend their whole paycheck on something they can snort up their nose or shoot into their arm? Yeah. It's not because it's fun. It's not fun. They're in bondage. Yes, sir. Yes. Spend their whole paycheck on liquor and alcohol. Go home. We got no food in the cabinet. The kids are running around with no shoes. Their marriage is on the rocks. Their family won't have anything to do with them. They can't pay their bills. They're getting their cars repossessed. They're behind on their rent. They're not having fun. They are, as Jesus said, laboring and heavy laden. And you know what Jesus said? Come to me, I'll give you rest. Let me, let me help you with that. Let me help you with that. Take my yoke upon you, verse 29. Take my yoke upon you. We don't really understand what he's saying because we don't, we don't use yokes and oxen and plows anymore. But they understood exactly what he said. He said, come over here beside me and partner up with me. Come over here and get in his yoke with me. And let me help you pull that load. Yeah. Let me help you. Take my yoke upon you. And learn of me. Learn of me. Let me show you something. This is Jesus talking. Let me show you something. You think you got all the answers? You don't even know the questions. Yes. Right. 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 Your life's on a, a tailspin. And you go to bed every night and you feel like your head's a bumblebee's nest. And it's just, he said, would you come over here, partner with me, and let me show you something. Learn of me. Let me teach you something. Why is it so hard? Why is it so hard for us to humble ourselves and let God teach us something? Why do we always have to insist we have all the answers? He says, learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. I'm meek and lowly in heart. This is the one talking that was just upbraiding them in verse 20. This is the one that was just rebuking them and said, it's going to be more tolerable in the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. They would have got right with God a long time ago. If I'd have done for them what I've done for you, you don't repent. You won't listen. And then he says, but I'm meek and lowly. Come partner with me. Come take my yoke, learn of me for I'm meek and lowly and ye shall find rest for your souls. I like that word rest. You shall find rest. Verse number 30, for my yoke is easy. I hear it all the time. It's Christian life's hard. No, serving the devil's hard. Be very careful. Be careful labeling Jesus Christ with the cruel taskmaster label that's reserved for the devil. Pharaoh was a cruel taskmaster. Pharaoh was difficult to please. Pharaoh was hard on them. The devil's hard on his children. Ride up Dundalk Avenue and see it for yourself. Take a left on Eastern and drive all the way down the inner harbor and tell me the devil ain't running his crowd. Ragged this morning lie full of sin they laugh and mock at what God's doing but down deep inside they know good and well it ain't working out it's not working out and Jesus said my yoke is easy because you're in here with me I'm doing all the heavy lifting my yoke is easy and my burden is light you say, preacher, I don't know about that. Living, living that Christian life, it's hard. It's hard. It's difficult. 1 John chapter 5, verse number 3, here's what he said. This is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not grievous. That's 1 John 5, 3. That just goes right along what we're saying out of Matthew chapter number 11. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. If you get saved, your life will change. Your life will change. Some of you are walking on thin ice with God. You've heard more truth than you deserve to hear. You've been exposed to more light than you deserve to. But God's been merciful. But His mercy could run out, His patience could run out. You know what He's saying this morning? right on the heels of a sharp rebuke, right on the heels of a sharp... You know what he says? Come unto me. Come unto me. Take my yoke. Learn of me. You'll find rest for your souls. I wonder this morning with heads bowed and eyes closed. There may be somebody sitting in this service. It says, Pastor Schiff, I'm not sure I'm a Christian. I'm not sure I'm saved. I am not sure. I'm not 100% sure. I can't say that I'm 100% sure if I died right now, I'd go to heaven. I'd like for you to remember me in prayer with heads bowed and eyes closed. Would you be honest enough this morning to slip your hand up and say, preacher, pray for me. I'm not sure I'm saved. Pray for me. Anybody, anywhere, slip your hand up where I can see it and then you can put it right back down. Anybody else? I see that hand. Anybody else? Preacher, pray for me. I'm not sure. I see that hand. I see that hand. God bless you, sir. We would love to take a Bible and help you this morning. Listen, we wouldn't embarrass you for nothing in this world. That's not what we're trying to do. We want to help you. you We want you to get rest for your soul this morning. If you've got questions, folks are being dealt with, folks are being prayed with, Listen, don't miss out this morning. You may be here this morning and you're saved, but you're not where you ought to be with God. Let me ask you a question. When are you going to get serious about living for God? When are you going to get serious? If you're saved, if you've been bought with a price and you're a blood-bought child of God, when are you going to get serious? What's it going to take? A calamity? A crisis in your life? What is it going to take for you to say, okay, now I'm going to serve God? Altar's open. Folks are piled up down here in the altar, but there's room for you to come. Anybody else preacher, I'm not sure if I died right now I'd go to heaven. Pray for me. I'm concerned about my eternal destiny enough. I'm concerned about it enough to slip my hand up so that you could pray for me. Anybody anywhere, preacher pray for me. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Pray for me. I'm not sure. I see that hand. You could put it down.